When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. Our website's clark.com and clarkdeals.com. I have been so distressed about a Census Bureau report came out from the Commerce Department weeks ago that I just keep running over in my mind and it's a report based on what's happened to people's finances pre-coronavirus and it looked at a 10-year period uh, basically the decade of the tens and found that roughly and i'm going to be rough numbers here 80 percent of americans have less purchasing power now and and this is pre when people's incomes got uh sliced by coronavirus uh less income now effectively than a decade before now this is significant on multiple levels because 09 was when the great recession technically ended and people's incomes rose fairly nicely from then through the uh, rest of the housing bust and forward. And for people, 80% of people, to essentially have their dollar not carry them as far as what it did a decade before is a serious, serious economic and political issue for the united states you know when people are polled and it doesn't matter where they are in the political spectrum they're polled on whether they feel the country's going in the right direction or the wrong direction it doesn't matter if they're left right or center they say we're going the wrong way and it's because people are frustrated that life is financially is more of a struggle for them than it had been we got to fix this and we're going to find that with people being polarized politically that the things people are turning towards are going to be um tax kind of policies and stuff like that and the reality is we've got somewhere 20 25 percent of americans somewhere in that number depending on how they're surveyed that are running away from the rest of the american people income wise we have a big big problem with wealth being very heavily concentrated among the very 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 elite of us and then you move down several rungs of that to the top 20 or 25 percent and that's where all the growth in income net growth in income has been flowing the problem is the economy has become 
overwhelmingly what's known as a knowledge-based economy. That the skills you have, the training you have, determine the kind of money you're going to make. In America, it's very rare anymore that just through hard work and effort, somebody can do just fine. That used to work for so much of our history, but the world economy has changed. And how people make money has changed. And so when I look at this from a truly economics-only perspective, I believe that we need to really, really focus in this country on how to make sure the 80% of people that are falling behind economically have an opportunity to achieve. And some of what I'll tell you right now is stuff that if you've, if you've listened to me for a long time, you already know what a strong believer I am in this, that training and education now have to be an ongoing lifelong pursuit because the mix of the workforce and the jobs in the workplace are changing at such a significant rate where the jobs, a majority of jobs turn over in less than 20 years, how people earn money. And we have an underutilized resource in the United States, and it's our state-supported community college system. The states that seem to be doing the best at connecting workers to high-paying jobs are being very thoughtful about using the educational resources of a state to get people the skills they need. Historically, community colleges have been looked at as a two-year feeder to four-year colleges. And so the first two years, people are taking the prereqs the same as they would at a four-year state university or often a private university. I think we need to flip that model. And the community college system needs to be about teaching people a workplace skill in those first two years. And only after that, what's now looked at as prereqs becomes the source of education. That people need clear, marketable skills and training because education is the latter that addresses, and ongoing training, that addresses the problems in the labor market. And I know there's been all this talk about wiping out people's student loans and making four-year college free and all that. And that creates enormous class divisions in the United States. But something I believe we can get behind as a country is making two years of technical college or community college free after high school and that it all be market-based skill design that like I've talked about with the state of South Carolina which has been a real innovator in this area where South Carolina has been thoughtful about their technical colleges and their community colleges being about training people for specific jobs that are in high demand by employers 
in the state of South Carolina that pay well above average wages. Not everybody is going to make a lot of money in their lifetimes. But the problem we have right now is we have a lot of jobs that go begging that require skill sets that people don't have. And we need to address how people get connected to that education and training that then connects them to those high-paying jobs that in turn increase American competitiveness. We compete on a worldwide basis, whether it's with our enemies like China or Russia or with our friends and allies like the Western European countries, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, Mexico. The reality is the job market is a worldwide competitive market. And economic growth comes from increased productivity, not from moving around money. It comes from the amount of output that each individual can produce. On that score, we in the United States have become very inefficient with real-life consequences for 80% of our citizens. So... I know during silly season, which is what I call every election cycle, the arguments are always about various political things. And that's not my thing. My thing is how do we improve the lives of the average American? And that's where we need to be looking, thinking, and making it happen. It's time for your questions that you posted for me at clark.com slash ask. Producers Kim and Joel alternate. And Kim, who do you have a question from? This is from Ferran in Tennessee. And Ferran says, my 11-year-old is very interested in learning how to play the stock market. I also have wanted to learn more, but don't know where to start. What is the best way for both of us to learn? And where do we start? So... There is a um, blog that I like very much that you're going to wonder at first, what does it actually have to do with stock market investing? It's called Humble Dollar. It's done by uh, Jonathan Clements, who is a fantastic financial writer. And what I like about it is that a lot of people ask me a question like you've posted about how to learn to be an investor. But the reality is I want you to go a step further back and it's how do you build financial security and how do you do the fundamentals of what makes up a smart investing strategy. And that's what Humble Dollar does. It's free. It's um, supported by charitable donations that people do, but you don't have to give any money. And it's all about you being empowered with knowledge so you know the fundamentals about how you build financial security. A lot of people spend too much time trying to figure out how to pick the right stocks or the right investments. The key to creating financial security is really a step back from that. Joel? Clark Nate in Missouri says, I was wondering about buying a fireproof and waterproof safe. And if you had any suggestions for a brand or retail a retailer for where I could be looking, we're wanting to use it to store documents like birth certificates, passports, titles, deeds, etc. Yeah, this is a wonderful idea you have. And I wish that 
anyone listening to you who does not have any kind of fire safe will get one because you don't want to have to worry about replacing think of all kinds of key documents uh, vehicle titles uh, mortgage documents um, social security cards if you have passports passports and these things can be very small I have one right here in front of me in fact that uh, was like 40 bucks that is fire safe and waterproof I don't have any particular brand it's really just the size that will work for the documents that you want to protect and that you shop it around at uh, you know at all the usual suspects see what you can get on eBay Walmart Amazon any site you'd look at to find one and they can be anywhere from a giant one to one that's just a little portable one like I have right here with me that protects your documents Kim Clark Daniel in Florida says Clark hi my name is Daniel I'm almost 40 and I make $15 an hour at my current job my house is paid off but I find it difficult to save any money to invest to out because of my outstanding credit card bills would it be worth my time to take out a home equity loan or even a new mortgage to pay off my bills so I would have a little more each month that I could, you know, then maybe try to push into savings. I would say no. I would not want you to take out other debt for this debt you already have. And um, I know that's going to be weird, but I love that you own your home free and clear. What if you worked one or two extra hours a week, picked up an hour or two of overtime, if that's possible, and devoted that money specifically to the credit card debt and be single-minded about it. And if it's not too much of a burden to do a couple hours, maybe do three hours a week and use that money with that sole purpose that every dollar you make net of extra hours worked extinguishes that debt. I'd rather you See how you can reduce current expenses if possible or increase income rather than taking on a different kind of debt. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Tim is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Tim. Hi, Clark. Thanks for taking my call today. Certainly, Tim. How can I be of service to you? Well, I've had my credit frozen for uh, over five years now. And recently, I thought it to do a cash out refi on a rental property. When I did that, I checked with all the credit bureaus, everything is good, but the bank is telling me that they still don't have access. Um, I don't know what is going on at the bank because once you have lifted your security freeze with the three bureaus, you did it with all three? Yes, sir. Then they have access. So I don't know what could have possibly gone wrong there may be a clerical error at the bank have they confirmed all your information with you 
Uh, they did, and, and I already have a loan with this bank. And so I went through and checked with the credit bureaus a second time. And, and again, everything came up that it was the freeze was lifted. And so, so I sent that information to the bank again. And All right. So I know how to handle this because I've dealt with this situation before. What you do in that case is the loan officer at the bank in a conference call with you they are actually able to reach people at the credit bureau much more easily than you can and they just do a conference call and they work through whatever problem exists that the uh, lifting temporary lift of the security freeze gets done properly you know if the bank is unable to do so after you've lifted a freeze then there's some clerical issue either at the bank side or the credit bureau side and that's why a conference call is how you're going to get to the bottom of it because there's nothing else you can do from your side and the here's the thing the credit bureaus are not very responsive to you and me they are extremely responsive to the banks because that's who pays them so i think you'll pretty quickly get this resolved once the loan officer and you do that conference call with the credit bureau and the good news is this is a very infrequent problem that very very rarely occurs with people trying to do the temporary lift of a credit freeze and having something gum up the works it's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more, spend less, and avoid getting ripped off. Our websites, Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com. You know, I know over the years at Clark.com, one of the areas people click on over and over again is anything to do with credit scores which is so ironic because nobody even knew what a credit score was in any significant number of population five years ago. And now people can even see their FICO scores. They can see they sign into one of their credit card accounts. They can see it whenever they want for free. They can have a Credit Karma account that gives you their version of a credit score whenever you want. And it's because the banking business is fixated on your credit score and they make most of the decisions they make about what credit to grant you based strictly on your score this is an industry that is ready for disruption and i've been telling you for i guess about the last year and a half about the pedal card p-e-t-a-l card.com that is a Visa card that does not rely on traditional credit scoring and credit reporting is how to determine if you can get a card. And now there are alternative scoring models that are appearing that don't rely just on credit. And now a new wrinkle is the X1 card. The X1 card is a Visa card that does not base your approval or your credit limit on your score. 
They do it a most unusual way. Because I'm going to tell you something that surprises most people. The overwhelming number of people in, in surveys think that what you make at a job determines your credit score or your credit limits. It doesn't with most lenders. It is strictly your credit score. But the X1 card uses their own algorithms, their own artificial intelligence methods to set a limit based on your current income and based on criteria that they evaluate about you could be education job you have whatever an guesstimate based on their database of what your future earning power is and that is how they come up with and figure whether or not you're going to be approved for a card and what your limit will be with both pedal card and with x1 the interest rate charge is variable based on their own criteria of evaluating risk. With the pedal card, balances are charged between 13 and 30%. With the X1 card, between 13 and 20%. And again, your risk profile using each of them having their own proprietary methods of calculating risk that's what translates into the interest rate you'll have to pay. So the one-size-fits-all credit score is still the heart and soul of how credit decisions are made, but it's not necessarily how decisions are going to be made more and more in the future as the technology becomes more sophisticated and the way of evaluating you is able to slice and dice you in ways that current credit approval processes don't. It's time for your questions you posted for me at clark.com slash ask. Producers Kim and Joel alternate, and I think it's Joel's turn. That's right, Clark. Jenna in Wisconsin says, I'm recently out of college, debt-free. Thanks, Grandma. Uh, I'm looking to buy my <laughs> first house in two to five years. I currently have $30,000 that I want to use as a down payment, I'm continuing to add to it until I'm ready to buy. But I'm not sure what to do with this money so it grows but still accessible when I need it. Where should I store this money until I'm ready to, to make that purchase? You're going to hate me. You have to be a dull saver. When it's money for a short or intermediate term goal, you cannot invest the money. The very word invest is where you put your money at risk. And so money that you are diligently saving so well for a down payment on a house needs to be in Dullesville in the highest interest rate savings account, which is kind of a silly statement because even the online banks aren't paying much right now. But you, your first priority is to preserve the money. Only your second is to try to get some growth out of that money. And that's why just keep building that up so that you've got what you need to make that down payment on that house. Kim? John in Texas says, Clark, I recently had surgery where the anesthesiologist was out of my network. Oh. I called ahead of time to find out what my charges would be, and they told me about $300 maximum. 
Instead, they're billing me $4,200, the difference of what they say between, quote, eligible charges versus submitted charges. What can I possibly do? How do I go about fighting this or negotiate a reasonable settlement? My credit rating has always been in the high 700s, and I don't want this collection to ruin my credit. This infuriates me. And as I shared much earlier this year, I was on a panel in one of the states. I was on a um, task force where we were able to get a law through that state legislature that no longer allows these surprise bills when you have pre-certified or gotten um, uh, surgery approved for a facility that is in network that they can't hit you with one of these ridiculous bills anymore. And it is inexcusable and unacceptable that both the medical providers and the insurers are throwing patients under the bus like this. You did in good faith what you were supposed to do. So what I would do now is I would contact your state, uh, you said Texas, right? That's right. I would contact your um, state representative and your state senator that represent your district and tell them what's happened to you. And you start making a fuss about it and you let the hospital system know that you have done that, that you've gone to the legislators that represent you. You want to make as big a fuss as you can. If you live in a TV market, you want to call if a TV station has one of those on your side kind of reporters. You want to reach that individual. Publicity is what will get your bill reduced. And contacting your legislators as a constituent is how you start the process or help nudge along the process that eliminates this incredibly stack deck unfairness that remains an exposure for so many people who in good faith have done what they were supposed to do. You're going to have to be very aggressive, non-traditional ways to try to get some satisfaction for yourself on a major reduction of a ridiculously unacceptable charge. Joel? Clark Terrence in California says, periodically my credit card issuer asks if my salary is still the same when I log in to check my account status. I typically ignore the question and click through. My sense is they would lower my available credit if I answered. Is that what they're up to? Well, right now, all of us are in danger of having our credit limits reduced or our credit limits shut off. There are reports every single day in the financial press that I read about people having their limits reduced or shut down. The banks are very, very worried about people defaulting out on them who have never even had a late payment. There is um, a scoring model that some of the big banks are using where they're uh, trying to figure out what's known as your resilience score. You know, how, how able are you to handle an unexpected job loss or economic uncertainty or circumstance? They're asking every time you sign in for that income because they're looking just as you suppose to see if there's been a reduction of income that they would immediately shut off your lines or reduce them. 
If you have not had a reduction in income report, if you have, ignore just as you are. And follow this advice that I've been giving for the last two years, predating Corona. You want to make sure that you are at least following the Noah's Ark rule, that you have two different credit cards from two different financial institutions so that if one of them starts playing rough and tumble with you, you at least still have the other. Kim? Marcus in Georgia says, uh, Clark, I am currently behind on my rent. I want to know if I can be evicted. I heard there was a hold on evictions, but I have no idea what my rights are or how to move forward with this. I have a briefing on Clark.com about how you can uh, potentially hold off an eviction till 21. It doesn't deal with whatever rent you're behind on, whatever penalties may be in effect as part of that, but it would uh, prevent that. So there's a form that you have to go through a number of questions and answer. There's also free software that's available now that'll walk you through how to do the form properly that you provide to your landlord and if ultimately they file an eviction notice anyway to the judge is called Hello Landlord. Joel? Clark Brittany in Georgia says, where should I go to get a will done and how much does it usually cost to get a will created? There is no standard price for a will and it all depends on your situation, how complicated it is, um, how much money is involved. There's an easy way to do a will that works for many people, and that's if you don't have a complicated family situation like his kids, her kids, their kids, blah, 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 blended families, businesses that you own, things like that. If you have a simple circumstance, there is something called Willmaker, and Willmaker is purchased at nolo.com. And depending on what promotion they're having at the time, it tends to cost 50 to to $100. And if you get into doing something like Willmaker and you realize you're in over your head or you don't really understand how to answer questions, that's the point at which you want to start looking at using a lawyer for a will. And if your situation does involve owning a business, having a complicated family situation, then you don't end up at a lawyer, you start with a lawyer. And the more complicated or the more money involved or having your own business, you want a lawyer who specializes in wills, estates, and trusts. And you got to talk to lawyers that do this, tell them a little about your situation, then they'll be able to give you an estimate on what it's going to cost. The more complicated your situation, you go from the hundreds to the thousands potentially on doing a will. Most people, though, are going to find that using a lawyer to do a will will cost in the hundreds, certainly not more than a thousand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, 
giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Thomas is with us on the Clark Howard Show. And Thomas, you are somebody who wants to be full of fire. Do you know what fire means? (laughs) Yes. Yes, very ambitious. Uh, That's financial independence, retire early. So you have very serious goals for your wallet. Tell me what you're trying to do. So my goal is to be, of course, uh, debt-free, financially independent, and I ultimately want um, to at least have $3 million uh, by the time I retire. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. <laughs> how do you save right now? How old are you, I should say, and how do you save right now? Uh, so right now I'm 30 years old. Um, right now I have a, a 401k, uh, Roth IRA, an individual investment account, um, a high-yield savings account, and I do uh, trade stocks individually on the side. So your 401k and, and your Roth, are you able to max out both of those? Yes. Um, I contribute 8%, which gives me uh, the employer 100% match, and I also contribute uh, 125 to my Roth IRA, which if you tally, tally it out throughout the weeks, it's about, I think I get a week off at the end of the year, so... Right. So your 401k, though, you're doing 8% of your pay? Yes. All right. So that would be where the booster shot would be with you trying to reach your $3 million goal. Okay. Is that you take that 401k up to the max, if you can afford to do the max each year. And at your employer, do you have an option for a Roth 401k or only traditional? Unfortunately, just uh, traditional. (laughs) Even in that case... The greatest place for you to stash is you're going to get a current income tax deduction is to max out that 401k. Mm-hmm. And it, it, if you're at 8%, uh, how much does that represent in a year you're putting into it? Oh, I, off the top of my head, I'm not sure. Okay. Um, you know you're allowed to put in, uh, was it 19 a year plus the employer match? There's the amount right now. I never get anybody who's doing the max. But I want you to strive to keep working towards getting to that max because if you're putting in the full amount you can each year into a 401k, it's going to make a huge difference for you down the road and how much total money you have. If I were to suggest one other thing, you said you're trading individual stocks. I would rather you look at doing... Uh, something much more boring, and that is shoving as much money as you can into uh, broad market stock index funds, a uh, total stock market index fund, an international index fund, that those two areas would be where, for the long haul, with you trying to get to your $3 million, that's where you're going to have tax-efficient investing And when you later sell those way down the road, they don't have to be sold at traditional retirement age. They're eligible for very favorable long-term capital gains. The most important thing for you to do with your target goal at 30 years old is to live on half of what you make 
and save the other half. And you do that, you are absolutely going to be part of the FIRE movement, one of the success stories of having true financial independence at a much younger than normal age to have that. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.